0: Welcome to a brand new episode of Reliability, It Matters. In today's episode, I'd like to welcome back Sandeep Jadav, or as his friends like to call him, Sunny, to the podcast. Now, I spoke to Sunny in episode 11, titled Six Sigma and Reliability, where we discussed the relationship between the two. Now, that episode generated a lot of questions in my head, and I thought, what better way to seek clarity than speaking to the expert himself? So for those listening to us for the first time, Sunny, would you mind giving a brief introduction about yourself?
1: Absolutely, Akshay. Uh, many thanks for having me. Um, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Sunny have over 15 years uh, in the Australian Army, electrical engineer by trade, currently working as chief engineer within the uh, Land Systems Division, CASG, uh, Department of Defense. Prior to defense, uh, I had paid six, seven, six or seven years of industry experience with uh, Siemens and Fujitsu.
0: Right. So you've had a lot of experience under your belt, uh, especially in the realm of Six Sigma quality and, and reliability engineering. So what we discussed in, in the previous episode was Six Sigma and how it is used to increase the reliability of our products through either reducing product variation or ensuring that our manufacturing processes are a lot more stable. And you and we dug a bit deep into statistical process control and process capability and, and the various indexes that we have. So when we talk about performing an FMEA, so I'm drawing an analogy between reliability engineering and Six Sigma here. Uh, so FMEA, for those of who, you who are not familiar with what that is, it's failure modes and effects analysis. So one of the goals is to identify the possible failure modes or In other words, identify the root causes of failures. So when it comes to developing a maintenance strategy, it is important that we address the root causes and not just the symptoms. Now, that is the same thing across a product design as well. That is, if you address just the symptoms and not address the root cause of what's causing a failure in a product, you end up uh, not having a robust design or a product. Now, what role... Does root cause analysis have to play in identifying issues which are either plaguing a design or a product?
1: Uh, again, actually, this is a tremendous question. Um, it's it's extremely simple, and I'm I'm privileged and honor to share this insight with your listeners. And and if if we get FMEA right, Six Sigma will never exist. If that makes sense, <laughs> and. Absolutely, it is as simple as that and my experience suggests that sometimes people do FME as a lip service, they provide documentation as a, as a contract deliverable or, or a, a, a report sort of thing uh, to meet the requirements but it's such a f- powerful piece of information which, which lacks the substance multiple times I've witnessed and, and this is my premise where if you get this FMEA right, uh, Six Sigma will not exist at all. So coming back to your question of a root causes, uh, first of all, I, I personally uh, shy away from saying it's a root cause. I, I start with the problem identification. Uh, why I say that? Because once you identify what's, what's wrong with what, by how much, and, and, and the so what, which is your problem definition. Then you ask that, hey, is this problem is associated with a defined or well-defined process or not? What I mean by this is whether your process associated with the problem is in control or is it in chaos? If the answer is positive, that means if your process is in chaos, not in control in terms of the statistical control, root cause or five-why analysis per se will never work. On the contrary, if your process is in statistical control is part of that well-defined algorithms or SOP for that matter, then you can apply the 5 i analysis or or the there are n number of problem-solving methodologies you
0: can use. Yeah. I, think,
1: I hope I answered your question.
0: That definitely does. And that's something that I've actually never be never come across. That is, or never really thought about that. If your process isn't stable, I guess classical ways of identifying what the root causes are will actually never work. It just almost it's an underlying assumption i suppose for all these processes is that your process is fairly stable and there's not not so much variation in there that you would as we call it the analysis paralysis that they just if i can only imagine if your process isn't stable there there are just so many different causes that could have led to the root cause or the original problem in the first place that you'll just be running behind one cause and another one and another one then there's just a never ending vicious circle
1: Absolutely, actually, absolutely, and I was in the similar dilemma. Probably two weeks from now, uh, uh, see somebody. I, I, I and I got a cat at home whose name is Tom. So, with due respect, yeah. Uh, and, and and I was trying to tell people that if I have to prove that Tom is a cat, and the people were grappling with this syndrome that they they trying to say that Tom is a cat because he's got a four legs. And, and that's where the whole argument went pear-shaped. And I said, does that mean all four-leg animals are cats? And, and that's why the problem was multi-causal, where it wasn't part of the well-defined process. The process was in complete chaos. And my, my gods were asking uh, a, a question multiple times that suddenly give us, uh, a, a single point of failure, and I said, I simply cannot, because the process is in chaos. And until I address the variability associated with the inputs feeding into the system, uh, even, even even the divine power of the cosmic energies will not, will not solve this issue.
0: I guess it's hard for people to accept that the process is not stable and it's actually in, in a chaotic state. I think that's what prevents people from uh, accepting the fact. So I've run a, a few root cause analysis sessions, and this is one of the first things that we do talk about, which which is admitting that there is a problem to begin with before you even start going down the process of uh, identifying the problem or defining what the problem statement is. Uh, but that's some really uh, great insights there's, there's one thing that I have, after our podcast, actually, um, that we that we recorded a few weeks ago, I started doing a bit more reading on Six Sigma, and I found this, uh, the classical definition of Six Sigma, which is, uh, if your process follows a Six Sigma, uh, or if it's Six Sigma compliant, you'd only see 3.4 defects per million opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. But I came across this another uh, different value for Six Sigma, which was which basically said that if, you, if it follows a Six Sigma process, you would only see two defects per billion opportunities. Now, that's a big difference there from 3.4 per million to 2 mm-hmm. per billion opportunities. And this was attributed to this thing called as a 1.5 Sigma shift. Now, that mm-hmm. got my head scratching. So what is this 1.5 Sigma shift?
1: Uh, this is an incredible question, incredible question, Akshay again, and uh, and this is a this is the misnomer, the the 1.5 sigma shift. Um, Bill Smith within Motorola discovered 1.5 sigma shift. Uh, why he discovered this? Uh, as they were grappling with uh, the profitability and and uh, and 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 the competitors were. Uh, taking the market share, et cetera, et cetera. So they set the target of Six Sigma for their all uh, manufacturing processes. And then Bill Smith uh, identified that it's very difficult to sustain the the Six Sigma compliance within their manufacturing process due to the shift in the process. Uh, If you recall our previous episode, uh, I um, referenced Parking of the car and the parking of the garage. We spoke about mm, yes. process capability, and the metaphor we use the parking of the car. So if your car is bigger, the width of the car is bigger than width of the garage. What happens is you you not only unable to fit your car, but uh, you can damage the car. You can damage the garage, and in my case, uh, I can get charged because I live in a military house. You see, mm. so. It, just imagine, just imagine. Um, instead of a, a big, um, wide, um, frontage car, I I settle down for a motorbike. What that means is, even if I shift left or right from center of the garage, I'm right inside the garage. So, from the edges of the garage to to the edges of the of the motorbike what we call that as a 1.5 sigma shift from left and right so 1.5 left 1.5 right that gives you about three sigma yeah which is half of the size of six sigma so that's what uh, Bill Smith uh, discovered within Motorola that the process shift is inherent in in any process and and your process goes for wonders sometimes due to the sampling errors some, sometimes the center, the target shifts. Uh, I've seen this multiple times when we go for shoots. You see, uh, they usually give you twenty rounds in a magazine, and they say, "Right, uh, guys, go uh, and do do your uh, series." But before the twenty rounds, which uh, which is being assessed for our mark markmanship and the compliance requirement. They give you five rounds. Why they give you five rounds? To ensure the weapon is zero or weapon is centered. And once the weapon is centered, then you apply your markmanship principle, your processes to to get the correct grouping, whether you are a sniper or or otherwise. So 1.5 Sigma shift, if you don't consider 1.5 Sigma shift, you will get that 2 billion, which is one out of 500 million roughly but if your process shifts either on the left or on the right at motorola the the 3.5 defects out of 1 million was acceptable at the time for the leadership if i answer your question
0: yeah absolutely you did now with regards to process variation i guess my thought process immediately goes on to well what causes this process variation and is the process variation is it more random in nature or, I guess, coming back to a reliability terminology? Or is there something to do with the wear out of components as your equipment or your machinery, let's say it's a label packaging company. Um, as the components are wearing out, there'll be eventually some form of misalignment or there'll be that external factors. It could be change of shift, for example, that could lead to slight change in the variation or the way the machine has been adjusted is that what you would account for process variation and absolutely
1: absolutely akshay and 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 i've seen
0: multiple times where i've
1: asked my technicians to adjust the dial and i said boss i've set the dial properly but with naked eye yes dial is set at 100 degrees c or or any, any physical parameters but in when we see that on on and i'll i'll talk to you about control chart and and the process variation chart sure. um it it shows you absolutely something else, absolutely something else, and and you're absolutely right. It can happen due to the wear and tear in the machine, and that's why you 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 have the servicing intervals. You have uh, you know uh, operator uh, or technical inspection regimes. We calibrate instrumentation. For example, uh, my brand new car. For example, it's 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 a speedo. You know, if today it's reading. Uh, on on dot, but maybe you know, eighteen months down the track, uh, it is uh, it will be completely out of whack, and I have to recalibrate it. Um, another example, and it's a classic where when we do the radiation hazards measurements, and every measurements, every uh, every measurements you do, you have to recalibrate the probe for that very reason. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the weapons. That we zero the weapon after 40 40 rounds roughly.
0: So that minimizes the process variation, or you've t- sort of you're trying to minimize the error that will be in the process uh, due to natural wear or natural wear. randomness, I suppose you could call
1: it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what happens in the six sigma compliant process? Uh, if your process is six sigma, and that's why Bill Smith set this target and 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 then you have this half of the uh, distribution because if you fit two distributions within the tolerance, that's your 1.5 sigma shift. And that is only possible with the six sigma compliant process. And and that's where you get this 3.4 defects out of one way.
0: Right, okay, that explains it. Now in terms of minimizing defects, now we've had a brief, I spoke briefly about Process variation and stabilizing your manufacturing processes. Now, the whole intent, the reason we want to do that, is to have a robust product, uh, or in in term in reliability world, something which is highly reliable uh, and it, and will perform the intended function in an operating condition when you want it to. So, mm-hmm. in when you talk about Think Six Sigma, there's this quite analogous to uh, define, measure, analyze, improve, control. It's called design for Six Sigma or define, measure analyze, design, and verify. I suppose that's analogous to what reliability engineering is. And that's something similar to what we have in quality engineering as well. Would you mind giving a brief explanation on on what that exactly is?
1: is Superb again, superb. Um, And I've been, uh, um, not challenged, but um, um, uh, one of the training session actually, one of, one of the sponsors asked me this question. And you see, I touch based on the, um, the problem identification. It starts with what problem you're solving. Once you know that, then you ask that is this problem is associated with the defined process or not? If the answer is negative, that means you have a problem. It's like a coronavirus. When before uh, we came to know it, so it's, a, it's a something which is invisible and exponentially growing. Uh, we were just saying, oh, it's just one of those uh, you know flu kind of things, or you know uh, we just didn't know what's happening in terms of the outbreak, outbreak prevention, so on and so forth. You see, so there wasn't any defined process in that case. You resort to DFSs, which is design for Six Sigma, yeah. which is you define what is wrong with what, uh, validate, yes, it is, it, is a, it, is an, it is a problem with the data, uh, do the analysis, and then you perform your verification and validation process. And this is a typical, uh, either waterfall model or agile model in the software realm. On the contrary, once the problem is identified and, and that problem is part of the well-defined process, then you go to the make, the make framework, which is define the problem, what is wrong with what, validate with the data. Yes, it is, it is, uh, it is the problem, analyze that problem, set the uh, improvement initiatives, and, and of course, institute the countermeasures. And then it's cyclic, it's not linear. So, the DMAIC approach is basically for the existing processes. Whereas the design for Six Sigma, which has got D-Mac Dave as we just uh, referenced, yeah. uh, is mainly when the processes are non extant. And hence, uh, you do the cause and effect. Um, um or the brainstorming understand the cause and re- cause and effect um, relationship or cause and effect diagram or fishbone diagrams per se identifying the key input variables which are which are controllable identify where the noises are and 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 see if if you can control that noise or 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 otherwise and and then uh, then the most important piece once that is uh, um, once once you identify the key input variables controllable input variables identification of the noise and then finally understand the interactions that is the key part the interactions of those variables to the final output
0: so what I've observed so from even in my personal experience and having having listened uh, to our previous uh, the recording that we did and this one is is that it's extremely important that we get the problem statement really spot on because if you don't have that correctly defined or correctly stated all the analysis uh, of course uh, it, it's a it's a spiraling effect uh, if you don't have that defined correctly all the analysis that follows on from there would perhaps lead you to incorrect conclusions and. That is not something that you prefer, preferably want, especially if you, if it's a, in the case of coronavirus or just using that example. That is, had we not defined the problem correctly in the first place, we would have probably never come to the decision that hey, uh, that you know, stay one and a half meters apart or wash your hands and get the vaccination, right? Those mitigation or countermeasures, as you mentioned, uh, we would have never come to the conclusion that those are the things that could prevent the spread of the virus.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Akshay, And and this is what, you know, uh, we, 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 this is step out of going actually. And then uh, it's, it's kind of embedded within our DNA as well. But uh, I always say, show me your process flow first. And that's why once the problem is identifying and if you cannot identify the process flow means this is DFS's problem. That means you have to, uh, redesign the process. You have to understand the, the the key inputs filling into the system. Not only that, can I control those inputs, and then understand where the noises are, because no engineer in the world can can measure the noise factors. If that makes sense, and no, of course not, you can. Uh, it, it, it's just impossible to measure the noise. <laughs> and hence, hence, you know, you need to understand the interactions that how this noise is affecting the signal. And then you work out the maybe the next step would be the, the regression modeling or, yep. or and so on and so forth to predict things.
0: Now, speaking of predicting things and understanding noises, there's a lot of talk about the industry 4.0, uh, having <laughs> sensors. I can Definitely uh, visualize that this is going to have a great impact on the way Six Sigma is is implemented. Do you see? Do you believe that as we move towards IoT 4.0 with the implementation of sensors, you know, we are, there's so much data, there's so much being measured. Uh, there's just ridiculous amount of information and data out, out there. Do you see that uh, the process, or Six Sigma process, or the demake process, is going to stay the way it is, or there will be some changes in there?
1: You see it's incredible questions you're asking, and I'm immensely grateful to you and as always uh, it's, it's just uh, challenges me all the time uh, let me think beyond beyond square um, it, is, it is you know as if we are challenging let's say Einstein discovered this e is equal to m c square or the Newton's physics uh, you know the the three equations uh, see the physics will never change if that makes sense yeah. The physics of failure and, uh,
0: will be always the
1: same. Absolutely, the concept of quality will never change. Now coming back to your question on this uh, digital disruption and, and digital transformation uh, if, if, if you know if you're talking about industry 4 with the internet of things or Indus- industrial internet of things. Um, everything starts with the value proposition that how the value is flowing within the organization through either through the processes or or through the material flow and once you know that value stream which is the horizontal value stream downstream then you develop your data models and and once you know the data model uh, the point is where is the critical few or vital few instead of trivial many it, until such time, until such time, you will never get the efficient process or efficiency and effectiveness.
0: No, I completely agree with you. There, it happens so often uh, in in our in this realm of maintenance and reliability that when we speak to organisations, they say, "Oh, we've got all these sensors on the on all of these particular assets." But when you ask them, "Well, what are you going to do with the data that you're collecting?" They have no clue. They just said, oh, we're collecting them. Why? Well, because the the sensor manufacturer said that we could collect the data and well, that's, they don't know what they are to do with it, how it's going to be useful. So with the process of back to the problem statement, if you define the problem statement correctly, you will know, as you said, uh, not focus on the trivial many, but focus on the vital few. You will know, those vital pieces of data points that you should measure and how, what can you best do with them or generate the maximum value from those, the, the limited data that you want to collect.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I'm very privileged uh, and an uh, and honor to um, uh, let you know, know yourself and your listeners know that uh, I was mentoring a, a session uh, and, and without being specific about this particular uh, syndicate uh uh they were uh, helping uh they set up 500 mil organization in states they have wind turbines everywhere you know across the globe and and it's 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 that they, they want to condition monitor the assets with uh, using iot and and edge computing but whilst this technology front is absolutely mandatory and that's what they want to um um Implement and and show the return on investments. Uh, everything started with the value stream. That when when they sold the concept to their uh, their sponsors, they they showed the current state how the value is flowing, and the future state using the technology, showing the critical few inputs, which is critical vital few data points, uh, getting rid of the time and motion of information. Um, a documentation was another one. Uh, Manning, multiple hands-off, physical hands-off. Yeah. And, and, and that before and after vision, actually. And then they got the go-ahead from the management to to spend the money and institute the technology there. Oh, wow. And mm-hmm. that
0: must have definitely been a really amazing experience for you to see all of that uh, happen from... Uh, from its, uh, I guess, conception uh, all the way to its the, the, the final output on on what they had wanted to see, I think it has been another amazing uh, discussion round of discussion with you, uh, and getting to pick your brains on Six Sigma IoT 4.0 uh, and and how it relates with uh, reliability engineering. It has been an absolute pleasure, and I would definitely love to have have you on again continue this discussion as, as I mentioned in our pre- previous episode that we want to create a series of, of such episodes where we can break down these some of the complex topics and make them uh, with with experts such as yourself into a far more simple narrative where it's easy for anyone to grasp and understand what are these you know things that com- or com- which may seem complex but can be made fairly easy with you know really good examples which you've re- actually done uh, in this episode uh i'd like to thank you uh, for your time for your patience uh and for my dogs barking in the background as well uh, they were my co-hosts today <laughs> uh thank you so much sir before we uh, wrap things up for today is there anything any plugs uh is there anything else that you'd like to add
1: okay just a couple of things uh um, I'm I'm honoured to pass on to your listeners that uh, um, my my publications on um, Six Sigma and 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 uh, systems approach to operations COVID nineteen management has been uh, um, published in a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, uh, it's called uh, uh, Springer. Uh, I'm happy to send you the link once, uh, uh, and, and that's uh, make sure you no cost is involved, so uh, uh, I'll make that happen. And secondly, if anyone is interested uh, uh, to learn more about what we discuss in this podcast and the previous podcast, uh, please reach out to me. It's totally free of cost as a service, uh, as a a knowledge uh, sharing initiative. And and, uh, if anyone is interested in the certification piece, very happy to, to guide them as well again uh, thank you very much for having me it's always uh, been a pleasure and honor uh, to to be on the uh, on on this uh, podcast and and part of your initiative thank and you uh, and and look forward to actually uh, doing more of this down the track as well akshay
0: absolutely would love to do so so if listeners if you have any suggestions or if there's something particular uh, that you would like to listen or have a question just let me know or just message Sandeep uh, on LinkedIn. He'll be more than, more than happy to answer and we can perhaps Absolutely. if they have any particular topic of interest, we could uh, have a talk about that as well. If that is something you would like to listen to. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I think it has been an amazing episode. I will leave you to it. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon, Sunny. Uh, thank you very much (laughs) thank you so much sir
1: thank you very much and uh, look forward to me
0: absolutely all right then bye see you mate bye